is Hard Parking, brought to you by Right Honda and Right Toyota out of Scottsdale, Arizona. As always, I'm your host, Jay Finning, recording from my home office in Gilbert, Arizona. Coming up on today's show, Sergio Escamilla came in studio. He's a personal injury lawyer. And it's one thing about this podcast is I bring people sometimes in around the car community. And as I said on the last episode, sometimes it's difficult to describe what this podcast is. It's the non-automotive automotive podcast. So if, you're, if it's your first time listening, go ahead and hit subscribe, follow whatever it is you have to hit because you're going to enjoy the journey. But, you know, the cars, the cars bring us together, but we don't just talk cars. So I get to learn about him. I get to learn where he's from, how he grew up, you know, why he chose to become an attorney. And then we talk about cars as well a little bit. Uh, an incredible conversation, had a good time. So coming up after this short message from Four Wheel Online, Sergio Escamilla. Jay Finning here, and I want to tell you guys about Four Wheel Online. For over a decade, Four Wheel Online has been bringing the best truck accessories and truck parts to enhance the appearance and performance of all trucks and SUVs. They are dedicated to providing an extensive range of upgrades that will match any maker model on the road. Their truck products cover everything you need give your truck a custom look and added functionality and if you need a tire and wheel package head over and use the configuration tool they carry all the major brands of wheels and tires so we'll get outfitted today so visit them online at four wheel online or call them at 813-769-2451 again that's four wheel online the number four wheel online sergio escamilla in studio finally uh, welcome to hard parking i'm glad you're here Today, we're going to talk about the Gwyneth Paltrow case, which I completely forgot about until you reminded me a couple weeks ago, and kind of your journey. First off, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here and um, just admiring your studio. Very nice. Thank you. I appreciate it. I love it when someone local wants to come in studio. I, the people, want, people want to be invited. They don't want to volunteer, right? Right. So right. you kind of volunteer for both to talk about. And so we're going to talk about what you do and... Um, but the first question I have for you is, talk to me about your car. Talk to me about cars. Like, why are you interested in cars? You know, what's your car story, I guess? Yeah, I think when I was five years old, I got myself into cars. When everybody was reading books, I was looking at picture books of cars. So cars was my thing since I was a little kid. And uh, I enjoy them. Every car I've had, I've modified, you know, whatever car I can afford. I think the first car I purchased, I pushed it more than I drove it, unfortunately. And that's how I learned about the mechanics. <laughs> right. And, uh... Nothing against the the German folks, but it was a German car, and I so ever since then I've what had was it, it. It was a Volkswagen Scirocco. Oh, bad okay. electronics, yep. bad brakes, bad everything, bad suspension. <laughs> so I got my hands dirty. I was dirt poor, so I couldn't afford a mechanic. So I had to figure it out myself, and uh, it taught me a lot about cars. And then uh, one, uh, one one day I switched over and bought a 1973 240Z. And I swapped out the carbs, put some Webers in there, and it ran so nice. I never had to push that car. It was just an amazing car. And that kind of led me on to the JDM products. And ever since then, I've owned a ton of JDM cars. And I appreciate the reliability. And especially uh, now being an attorney, I have to get from point A to point B flawlessly. So uh, I like the reliability. Where are you from? Uh, originally from L.A., my parents are immigrants from Mexico. Uh, we lived in Tijuana, Mexico for about four years before we moved over permanently to L.A. My first language was Spanish. I remember going to kindergarten for the first time 
And my only exposure to English was cartoons. Back then, we couldn't change the language on TV, so it was only English. And I was so impressed by the kindergarten kids because they spoke the TV language, the cartoon language. Yeah, (laughs) The TV language. Yeah, so I was like, what is this, and where did they learn it? So, yeah. What was your cartoon? Oh, man, back then there was just, you know, all the Looney Tunes, you know, Fred Flintstones, the, the typical stuff back then, yeah. So that's interesting. Life is different. I'm gonna, I don't want to say I'm old, but I'm old enough to know that first thing you do on Saturday mornings, you get up and you turn on the TV. Right. right. I mean, I don't even know if they have Saturday morning cartoons anymore because we live in a Netflix world. We live in an iPad world. YouTube. YouTube. And yes. the kids are, that's, that's all they care about, man. So I don't know what, what do they dream about? Where they aspire to have, because we can go back and say, okay, when we were kids, everything wasn't as accessible as it is now. So when you see that car or you see that car poster, mm-hmm. you know, you just, you, you can't live without it. You think about it all the time. You can't just open up a device and, and look at it or go somewhere and, and watch videos of it. Yeah. And that's true. That's true. Reminds me of when I first saw the NSX uh, in high school or shortly after high school and my heart raced and I couldn't afford it, but... I knew that was a beautiful car, and I'm staring at it be- right behind you, and I'm a bit jealous. <laughs> you oh, still yeah, own the, that car. <laughs> the, the Macross one. Yes. Um, so when did you see your first NSX? Because you have one now. A new I one. do. Yeah, it's a second gen. It's a 2021. I, I've always been a fan, and, and as soon as Acura was promoting the new gen, again, my heart raced, and uh, my problem was uh, the price. When I think at the price point, they, they planned about 90000 the the first advertisement and the first kind of rumors you hear, I'm like, okay, I'm in. Then I heard a buck ten. I'm like, oh, okay, I can do that. And then started getting up to buck twenty five, and then you know we ended up approximately around one sixty one seventy. Right. And I said I'm out, and I ended up buying a Lexus RCF, and I enjoyed that car. Nice V8, naturally aspirated. That was fun. But later, I still had my eye on the NSX. Why the NSX? Because a lot of people, it's, it's, it's an understood car, right? And when the reviews came out in 2017, a lot of people trashed it. I would argue that because they didn't know how to drive it because that torque steering, torque vectoring, like that's, that's new unless you had a Porsche 918, not to get too car techie. Um, but having owned the car like you have and you've done stuff to it, you know, why do you love the car so much? Oh, man, it's just incredibly reliable. Uh, I use it as a daily uh, it could be Tuesday and I'm driving it or Thursday. Um, again, I, I appreciate all types of cars, uh, European supercars, beautiful cars. But uh, some of the folks that I talk to, they only take it out on Sundays. And when I get into my NSX, it's a freaking Honda. You know, I could drive it any, yeah. any time. And it's very comfortable, has all the creature comforts. So it's a fun car. It gives me the power, the fun experience the reliability where I can drive it every day. So I, I really appreciate that component. It makes it fun. You're really busy. You have a couple of different things that you do. Probably not going to see you as much on a car cruise or cars and coffee. And that's okay. Have you ever been into those things? Or are you just kind of one of the guys that likes enjoying your car and just likes doing stuff and kind of separating yourself from the, the air quotes car culture? No, no, no. I, I, I appreciate the car culture and, uh, I have to handpick a couple events to participate in. I also have a family, and then I work hard during the week, and I, I own a couple businesses. Uh, uh, ELG Accident Attorneys here in, in Phoenix area, in the Metro Phoenix area is one of them. 
Uh, we have three offices throughout the Valley. So that kind of keeps me busy. I supervise attorneys and whatnot. So it, it's very challenging for me to tell uh, my family and my girls, I've been working hard all week and on the weekend, see, uh, I'm out of here. So right. that's why I have to handpick a few events and I'll show up here and there. I love the car community. The support has been overwhelming. Um, Jay, you were gracious enough to be at our grand opening for our EOG central office on uh, Camelback and uh, 7th Street. And you saw the support we got. We had a lot of- It was of, awesome. Yeah, we, it was awesome. Very I, family feeling. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate that. It was designed that way. Um, and uh, the support we got from the car community, as soon as I picked up the phone, I mean, you said, I think I have something going on. Let me see if I could change it. You did. You were there. Jeff Benz, another NSX owner, he said, I'll be there and I'm bringing a couple friends if you don't mind. Absolutely not. Um, so we had a, a great support and, and um, participation from the car community and I love everybody there. What's a car that you've always wanted that you haven't picked up? And I would say haven't, couldn't afford because we couldn't afford shit back mm. in the day. Mm -hmm. But what's a car that seems unobtainium to you? Being a JDM guy, I mean, I guess the... A Predator, sometimes it's seen that way. Uh, the LFA, of course, you know, that's a phenomenal right. car. It's just uh, a little kind of kind of blew up here in pricing because there's so few of them. So you're going to have to spend a million dollars or more. Right. So, yeah. It gets to that stratosphere where it's like, even if I could, I probably wouldn't. Yeah. You know, and it's hard when you remember when what it used to be. Yeah. You know, it's like the first gen NSX, people hit me up and they go, hey, should I buy this one? It's a great deal. It's sixty thousand dollars. It's got one hundred fifty thousand miles on it. It's a ninety-two. I go. It's. I said no. I wouldn't personally. I wouldn't pay more than you know thirty-eight for it because I know what it's worth. You right. Know? It's just like. Yeah, and and the other thing I enjoy is driving my cars. I right. I buy them to drive them, not necessarily to park them. So I I like to enjoy them. And if you have a vehicle like an LFA, it's going to end up in a little museum or garage. You, right. You can't exactly put miles on them, so that part's tricky. Not a lot of them. Something happens to it. It's all she wrote. Mm -hmm. I mean, even you're in a sex, there's less than 3,000 of those. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I've told people I'm kind of I'm a little scared to drive my car <laughs> a lot now, you know, whereas the old one, it's like I had 130,000 miles on oh. it. It's a 97. You know, insurance doesn't cost anything. Registration doesn't cost anything. Parts are relatively plentiful Yeah. because the vehicle has been around for, you know, 30 years. You know, 31, 32 years as of 23, but you get into those next level, like your NC1, my NC1, it's just, it's it's harder. It's like, uh, it's more challenging. Let me, let me find something else. You're absolutely right. That's what's fun about the first gen is you can drive in and put all kinds of miles you want on it because at the end of the day, you can just pop another engine in it and you're fine and you're starting over. The odometer starts over. So that makes it fun. Let's uh, talk about this this uh, Gwyneth Paltrow thing and how it ties into what you do. You know, first, I have a, no, forget all that. I have, I have sure. some questions for you regarding what you do for a profession. Shoot. So I'm in healthcare IT. People hear that and they go, oh, you know, you're not, that's not going anywhere. You must be super smart. What do I do if, if my mouse doesn't work? You know, it's like, well, we're not all the same. And I would imagine in the field that you're in, everyone assumes you're all the same. That's true. You know, how many different disciplines really are there? And there's probably fundamentals that are the same, but once you start getting into the advanced stages of the profession and what you do, you know, what are some of the, the big misconceptions out there? Well, uh, one thing that's kind of misconstrued is that the attorney does 
all kinds of cases. And in today's world, you really want to limit your, your practice to a particular area because uh, areas of law change so much, almost weekly, almost monthly. Sometimes it's day by day. We develop new strategies. I'm in personal injury and uh, that field, you know, there's new case law, there's new strategies, there's new lean law that we have to be on top of. So I really recommend uh, folks look for, w- when they need an attorney, make sure you get somebody who's kind of in their lane and not necessarily doing a little bit of everything. There's, there's firms that if they do bankruptcy, criminal, family, PI, immigration. So when I get a call, I try to refer people to, I'll, I'll farm it out to someone who's in that area of law that they need, but I don't try to take everything. We just focus exclusively on personal injury because it changes so much. And that, that, that's a misconception. I get calls from, from family or friends, and I'm like, I don't do contract law. I don't do criminal right. law. I don't do family law. It's not that I don't want to help. It's just I'm not your right resource because I don't engage in that area every day. So that's something that's kind of a misconception out there that we know the law in every, every lane, and we don't. Right. Yeah. And then accident, mm-hmm. right? I mean, my thought is, okay— you have a nice car, you do accident stuff, right? You're an accident attorney. That's right. And then I think the thought is, oh, car accident. But it's not just car car accident. Is it everything? Yeah, when it comes to accident. Injured ac- on the job, um, you know, some car stuff, like what all? Yeah, um, accidents involve uh, uh, injuries. So Correct. what we, we focus, yeah. focus mostly is on the injury. The car it hurts me to say this as a car guy, but it's kind of insignificant because it's very resolvable. A car has a fair market value and you can hire a hundred attorneys and that's not going to fluctuate very much. Um, So you get paid out on the car pretty easily, pretty fairly. That's generally not, not a problem where we get involved is when someone's injured because of course, insurance companies don't want to take the blame. You know, they want to, blame something else. And that's kind of where the, the Gwyneth Paltrow case uh, here connects with the car community uh, because of the liability. There's something in law called comparative negligence and people don't know a lot about it. So I did want to educate maybe your audience a little bit as to comparative negligence as well. That's kind of what uh, the jury was asked to resolve in the Gwyneth Paltrow case. And it, it's invariably important in car cases as well. So before we go on to this, um, why an attorney? When did you decide this is what you wanted to do? Oh, that that that's a good question. Um, I guess uh, part of it was growing up and seeing how sometimes my parents were taken advantage of because mm-hmm. they're immigrants and mm-hmm. whatnot. So there's that part. And then I grew up in a not-so-good neighborhood. We had a helicopter assigned to our neighborhood. Uh, we were patrolled by the Rampart Division and LAPD which had its own issues later, we found out. And um, it was just a tough, challenging neighborhood. And I guess you weren't supposed to go to school. That's, at least that's what I thought. You know, you're just supposed to out there, right. get out there and hustle and whatnot. So at some point, um, I figured out, wow, you know, that that's kind of a ticket out. And um, stayed away from issues and was able uh, to graduate from uh, university. I went to Cal State Northridge out in San Fernando Valley. And once I was ready to graduate, I said, why can't I take it to the next level? And sometimes people say doctors and attorneys. And mm-hmm. I didn't have the science background to be a doctor. I don't know if I could have uh, uh, been successful there. 
But I started researching the attorney part, and I, I, I said, I, I could do this. Why can't I do this? And then right. just started focusing on that, and by some uh, stroke of luck, got accepted to Loyola Marymount uh, Law School in Los Angeles, graduated, practiced in California, uh, did some work out there in criminal family, and then moved to Arizona and started doing personal injury. Um, I didn't enjoy the other areas of law, but when I found personal injury, I really enjoyed helping people. And it was very rewarding telling sure. somebody, you don't have to pay me. I'll be your attorney today. And in fact, if I don't win your case, I don't get anything. So let me hustle on your case, win your case. And then, you know, once we get paid by the insurance company, all our cases are on contingency. I've never had a client have to write me a check, which is beautiful. So when I tell uh, my accident victims, like, I'll represent you today. And at the end, I'll give you a check. You know, that, that was rewarding to me. That's nice, actually. I don't know how, how is that common, sort of, or, or not that common? or Yeah, it's pretty common in personal injury, and that's why it, that's what really attracted me to it. Um, the element that's not common uh, nowadays is the customer service, and I really focus on customer service. I really like talking to people, and, and I enjoy that. I train all our attorneys personally and the same and uh, modern personal injury law firms, uh, all these guys that you see on every other exit on a billboard, um, they have what's called intake specialists that actually take your case. They'll talk to you, Jay, and say, hey, what happened? And they'll basically sign you up. And you never really had time to ask questions to mm. an attorney. And to me, that, that, that seemed kind of hurtful because at the end of the case, the client pays an attorney fee, not an intake specialist fee, right? Right. So they should have access to an attorney. So uh, what distinguishes our firm is we always are there for the client day one. That's the most important day. That's when you have the most important facts. You can answer the client's questions. They're scared. They're in pain sometimes. So we're there to guide them. And the way I see it is if the attorney doesn't have that time to sit down with you and learn, get to know you, learn your case the first day, Maybe that attorney doesn't have time to work on your file. That, that's the way I see it. How hard is it? So I, I, would, I can only imagine this happens. How hard is it to tell someone that their case really isn't a case? It's challenging. Uh, that happens frequently because sometimes I look at the fact pattern and I have to tell them, well, actually, it's your fault. Right. And, uh, you know, at that yeah. point, they need their insurance to protect them because they need defense attorney. What I do is I prosecute civilly. Okay. Yeah. And what... I, I have to, you know, kind of um, redirect them to call their insurance company. That's why we pay insurance. I pay insurance too. And they'll provide me with an attorney, even though I am a lawyer, uh, because I kind of prepaid for that in case there's that scenario. But it's a, it's a difficult conversation to have. Nobody wants to be told, well, you know, really plainly, it's your fault. You know? Right. But I do, I'm very frank with my customers because, uh, you know, have to uh, share that with them. And, the way it turns out, most of the time they're very appreciative because maybe there's a component they didn't know. So I explained the law to them, explained maybe statutes, the way the accident occurred. And you know what, Jay? Uh, I, we do talk to those folks and explain it to them. And I've gotten some amazing referrals. They just remember that conversation. Yeah, honesty. Honesty. That's and what and, it is. and I was there. Yeah. I was there as an attorney talking to them in the conference room or on the phone, whatever it is. Um, they appreciate that. They remember that. And sometimes I'm like their attorney for life and they, they trust us. Uh, they refer friends and family. And at the very least, they know whoever they refer, they're going to get an honest assessment. 
there's not a layer in the middle of decision making. Prosecuting versus defense mm-hmm. is your profession one or the other? Uh, I represent the plaintiff, basically. I'm a plaintiff's attorney. Right. And then the other side of the aisle, there's defense attorneys that right. primarily work for the insurance companies, and they, they try to break down that, the victim's case and say, oh, you were already injured. We didn't cause that. It wasn't really our fault. There's a comparative liability scenario, so you weren't wearing your seatbelt. You know, uh, well, the, that's what I mean. Yeah. So like this month, you wouldn't be on the prosecution, and next month, you'd be on the defense. That's correct, Jay. Okay, uh, yeah. I exclusively work on plaintiffs' cases. So uh, all the victims, all the plaintiffs are my clients. I don't work for the insurance companies, yeah. Going back to kind of your beginnings and kind of seeing that, you know, there's a better way, there's a way out, there's mm-hmm. a future to make your life and your parents' life and the people around your life better. How difficult was that in that kind of environment you know did you have to shield yourself from people were people messing with you calling your names you know did you just not go out anymore was it tough to go back home um well growing up uh, it was challenging you know it's the lot the barrio the the ghetto basically mm-hmm. and um what i did is uh i kind of had a mouthpiece so i would talk to everybody and make friends with everybody so sometimes oh. there would be gangs on both sides and i talked to everybody I try not to have any enemies, and that kind of helped me be able to walk the streets. And that they, they, yeah, they would say, "Leave, leave Sergio alone. He's yeah, cool. no, he's, he's cool, cool, man. He's, he's not, not he, no, he's not messing with them. No, he's cool. Yeah, he's not know. threatening. You know, so I just try to make friends. So that 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 really um, kind of kept me moving. Now, the challenging part was given that background, then going into the professional environment. For example, when I went to law school, I remember the introductions, and I went. You know, you would have people introduce themselves where they went to school and their names and where they're from. And uh, uh, Loyola Law School, oddly enough, is is in the ghetto. It's in the Pico Union District of mm-hmm. L.A. It's, it, the campus is designed by Frank Gehry, designed the Disney Concert Hall, the Guggenheim uh, Museum, uh, world-famous architect. So it's a beautiful facility, but it's kind of like a fortress. There's only one way in, security, you have to show your card and whatnot. And uh, when we would go there... I could walk around the neighborhood because that was my hood. You know, I was comfortable with it when people would only eat at the cafeteria or, or have to bring their lunch. I'm like, see you guys, I'm going to right. get tacos around the corner. Right. You want to join me? It's my hood. <laughs> so that, that was kind of different. Uh, but introductions were challenging too. It felt like we were kind of looked uh, down upon because um, I remember uh, the introductions would, would go like, hey, where are you from? Oh, I went to Duke. You know, I sure. went to this Ivy League school. I went to Stanford. I went to UCLA, SC, et cetera, et cetera. Where'd you go? Cal State Northridge. <laughs> but the thing that made me proud and, and I could hold my head up high is because I took the seat right next to you. So, so we kind of tied up the match there. So when you get out of there, like you, you graduate, you know, from law school, how does that work? Because I'm a completely ignorant person. I'm just a civilian, right? Do you go to work for another firm until you you know, get your creds and then you branch off and start your own thing. Like, how does that whole thing work? Oh, you're a smart dude, Jay. Uh, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but, um, uh, yeah, there's a hundred different ways to handle it. There's no one perfect formula. Um, I, I, at first I thought I was going to go work for the district attorney's office. I did Mm. an externship there, especially being bilingual was a big asset. Uh, I ended up doing an externship at the East Los Angeles, um, district attorney's branch office there. So I kind of thought I was going to go that route, but when I graduated, I actually 
because of the court experience I received during my externship, I felt very uncomfortable, very comfortable in court already. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, I'm just going to open up my own firm and I know how to do criminal. I had done another um, month uh, uh, summer uh, during summer school, a stint at another firm where I learned, learned some family law. So I did, I already knew family law and I had learned courtroom work in, in criminal law. So I did family and criminal on my own. Being bilingual, I had a lot of clients. Of course. And, and I was pretty good at it. Uh, I just, the problem was I didn't enjoy it. Like family life felt like Dr. Phil 80% of the time and an attorney 20% mm. of the time. It was it was rough on me. And criminal, I was in court. It was court intense, so I was always in court. So I would start my day at 3 o'clock at my office. Imagine seeing clients then, returning phone calls, returning emails, uh, signing up new clients and preparing the course, the casework for the next day. It was pretty challenging, so I would get out pretty late at night. So. When I moved to Arizona, I said, I'm going to look at different things mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. Did you watch? You see me kind of smiling across here because I'm, yes. I'm, I'm kind of uh, listening to your experiences and, and wondering, especially because you want you thought you'd go and work for the DA. Mm-hmm. I can imagine myself in that shoes like, hell yeah, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be one of those DA guys like on TV. Did you watch any, a lot of the shows? Sure. And it looked pretty cool. And they give you a badge and they give you a gun. And I was right. like, oh, man, that's cool. And, <laughs> and in my neighborhood, it's like, wow, I get to be someone. So uh, that kind of that, that, that kind of sounded fun. And at the end of the day, it was just a personal decision. I'm like, ah, I don't need that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this on my own, buddy. So I went out. and. What were your shows? Oh, back then? Oh, of course. I mean. Uh, dong, uh, dong. Of course, absolutely. Uh, that that was fun. I mean, that's that's Some kind law of law and order and law and order preeminent DA show, and you know the investigating part was fun. The funny thing is, it's always resolved in an hour, and those cases, I mean, they take years. So, so they tie it up in a nice bow for you and wrap it right. up, and here's your present. It's like what that doesn't happen that way. So, so that part, you know, kind of learning what I did in my externship in law school is like, well, it's kind of unbelievable at this point, but. But they're still fun to watch. Yeah. Are there the times when the judge calls for recess? Because I, I, I've sat on a case before, the jury duty for a couple of weeks. But other than that, my only exposure, like most of us, is through TV and these shows that are kind of fact and a lot of fiction. During that break, are you ever grabbing coffee and talking to the guy or gal on the other side? And then you have to go back in the room and battle it out? Yeah, um, most attorneys are very pro, so we can actually converse and how's the family or, you know, how's NSX, you know, we can have those conversations on the side and we know it's not personal and we go back in and do our job. Um, For the most part, I find that, I like that, it's it's pretty nice. I think modern attorneys recognize that. Uh, Some of the older school attorneys, they, I think they're still hooked on the movies and they think everything has to be antagonistic. And we do. We have to yeah. protect our clients' rights aggressively, of course, in court. That's our job. But once we step out of that box, um, you know, I can shake your hand. Right. Um, we Most attorneys do understand that. So it's kind of a fraternity. Because at the end of the day, it's just you guys. Yeah. Right? That's that's pretty cool. So you said that, you know, it's everything gets wrapped up in an hour on a TV show. Right. Even if it's a long case that spins that extends to the next episode, a continuation crossover event, yeah. it's still wrapped up pretty quickly. Um, but this, you know, bringing us full circle, this Gwyneth Paltrow thing, when you brought this up to me a couple weeks ago, I was like, no, I don't really pay attention to what's going on. Mm-hmm. This happened in 2016. 
This it, is 2023 at the end of March, which is a few weeks ago. It just got wrapped up. It just got wrapped up. That's not an hour. That's not an. It's not, <laughs> it's, it's not three hours. Nope. It, that's that's several seasons. I know. And and for example, I just had a conversation with a client yesterday, and I explained to him uh, my goal is to settle your case out. And and quite frankly, about ninety five percent of my cases will resolve in settlement negotiations without actually having to file. But he was asking about litigation and I, and I was uh, trying to explain, I'm trying to steer you for your own good. Even if you're my brother, my cousin, my next door neighbor, I'm going to give you the same advice. And my advice is let's do our best to keep you out of litigation and get you a maximize a settlement for you. Because I was explaining pre COVID courts were slow. They were very slow post COVID. They're super slow. So right. I, I was trying to explain to him, if we go the litigation route, you're talking about two to three years before anything's resolved. And, and sometimes, you know, again, just being frank with our, with our clients and explaining that uh, changes things. So he, he appreciated that. How long did it take you to get used to doing what you do? I would imagine the first time, first few times, a little unnerving. Sure. Yeah, I was uh, learning my craft. So, yeah, the first few times... Uh, was uh, a little unnerving and uh, asking a lot of questions and uh, trying to be nosy and um, call up people. Uh, I'm not shy, so I'll reach out uh, and, and, and ask. But uh, once I started doing it and you see the same fact patterns, you become comfortable. And mm-hmm. I mean, to date, I've done thousands of cases. I can't even count them wow. anymore. Yeah. So I've seen so many fact patterns. I could I'm very comfortable in my skin and I can guide, you know, any client with their questions. So that part feels pretty rewarding again. Um, as the owner of the law firm, uh, the, the founding member owner, mm-hmm. um, I have to focus a lot on stuff like this and um, management and administrative. But uh, the attorneys that work for me, I, I look at them and say, I, you, you don't know how lucky you are. You get to talk to everybody. You get to be in that conference room. You get to deploy the strategies. To me, that's the fun part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now it's to the point where it's fun. What percentage of, would you say, of the stuff that your firm handles gets handled without having to actually go to court? About 95%. Yeah, about 95%. We do what's called pre-litigation work. So we set up the foundation for the case, order police reports, photos, uh, medical records, anything we need to prove up the case. And what we try to do, that's why I like to be on the case early. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people call me way at the end of the case and there's only so much I can do. My, my kind of my, my hands are kind of handcuffed because some mistakes have been made or the case wasn't set up properly. So it's better to get on the case early, set that strong foundation. And then what I do is back the insurance company into a corner where I know the value of the case and they can't, you know, they can't fool me. I've been doing this for so long. So I tell them, Hey, Hey, here's, here's the value. Why are you going to pay your attorneys $20,000 to take this to court plus pay me the value of the case? Let's resolve something today. And uh, for the most part, about 95%, I would say about 95% of the time, they agree with me and we're able to resolve it. Now, those that maybe they're denying liability or they have, uh, they're, they're saying, you know, my client's really not hurt, even though I have records and an expert to back it up and doctors. Uh, and then I just go, go, go file on them. Uh, sometimes, they make me lowball offers, so that does happen. And I try to talk to them and at least ask them, hey, what's going on? And once I figure out they're just playing games at that point, uh, we, we have a good reputation here in the Valley, so most insurance companies know us. But 
if it's a off adjuster or an off company, I just tell them, uh, yeah, of course, with the permission of my client, we're not going to counter offer. My counter offer is a lawsuit. So just tell your, your guy, we're going to have to sue them here and expect service. So that's how we handle those scenarios. So let's get to this. Terry Sanderson is the guy who, um, tried to sue Gwyneth Paltrow, the yes. actress over a skiing accident that happened in 2016. I don't know much about the case from what I read. It's kind of a, he said, she said, um, he said that she ran into him and she said that he ran into her. Right. And she asked for a dollar. Yes. If she were to win, she was awarded, you know, no liability. And, um, so she was awarded her dollar and it's saying that he could be on the hook for, you know, $300,000 with the fees and up to a million dollars. What happened in this case and how does it kind of relate to everyday life? Well, um, this is what we call in law school. Uh, we study torts. This is what's called a tort. And a tort basically is like uh, a T-O-R-T. I, yeah. T-O-R-T. Like a tortoise. Yeah. I remember the first day we discovered that word. We're like, Hey, that's a tort. Oh, the umbrella <laughs> fell. That's a tort. Uh, we, we didn't know that. Mm-hmm. We didn't know the uh, vernacular back then. So uh, we were so excited, but it's that that's the technical name. And that's what we study in law school. When you hear like personal injury or, that kind of law, it falls under tort law, the umbrella of tort law. And a tort is basically an act or an omission that gives rise to an injury. So if somebody in, injures you, like, for example, I have every right to wave my hand, but I can't wave it by your face and hit you. I mean, then right. I committed a tort. It could be a crime too. But, um, you know, you can't hurt someone by, again, an act or omitting to do something. Same thing with a car accident. I have to brake, right? I can't hit the guy in front of me. As soon as I don't brake and hit it, slam into him, I committed a tort. And um, uh, I guess another a layman's word for tort is like negligence. You're, mm-hmm. you're negligent for something. And there's, there's four key elements to negligent. You owe somebody a duty or duty not to do something. And then um, you breach that duty. Somebody breached, the defendant breaches that duty. And then you have someone who's actually injured. We call that damages. There has to be damages. And then we have to link the, the cause. You have to have causation. You have to have caused that. So once you have those four elements, in this case, um, Mr. Sanderson was saying, Miss um, Paltrow, you hit me. You were responsible for this. And you're right. It, this case turned out to be a he said, she said scenario. But at the end, the judge asks the jury, they give the jury instructions to make a ruling or decision. And um, they ask the jury, is Gwyneth 100% responsible, 0%? Or is Mr. Sanderson responsible for the accident? Or is there a combination? Right. That's what we call comparative liability. Okay. And that comes into play. It, it, it did result where the jury found that uh, Ms. Paltrow, they believed her story and she had a lot of evidence that showed it. And I guess she was skiing and the guy hit her. So they found him 100% at fault, even though he was the plaintiff. He was saying, she hit me. I think the jury did a great job sifting through the evidence and listening to the testimony. I know he, uh, the uh, Mr. Sanderson, Terry Sanderson, the uh, plaintiff here, he had one witness that basically said that he saw that she hit him. But during his testimony and and. I'm glad the jury did not, you know, take a breather or, or, or kind of ignore this. But one thing that he said that was very important, and I think the case turned on it, was he 
at some point he testified that he heard the crash and then turned around, which oh, calls into question, how did yeah. you see it if you heard it first mm -hmm. and then turned around? So I think that was key. And they came back with a ruling that um, Gwyneth had 0% liability yep. and he was found 100% at fault. The way it kind of ties into the, the, the car situation too is a lot of people don't know this, but uh, Arizona, uh, I'm licensed in California. California is the same. We carry comparative liability laws. So there can be an assessment, even though you think the accident's 100% the other person's fault, it could turn out to be 75, 25. Mm -hmm. And that, that's a possibility. It could turn out to be 50, 50. Uh, for example, here in Arizona, the left-hand turner has a big burden. They have the onus to make sure that no traffic is coming. An excuse can't be, oh, well, the traffic light turned yellow. I saw you coming, but it was yellow. It's my turn, so I'm going to make my left-hand turn. Now, when those vehicles touch, they're always going to blame the left-hand turner. We have a statute in place that, that basically says that. However, if the person going straight that didn't cause the accident, let's say they were speeding, I've had those types of cases where we had to hire an engineer to get the data from the car. And it's like, oh, well, you were speeding, buddy. They wanted to catch that light before it finished exactly. turning around. Exactly. So... We can assess, well, you were 20% liable, you were 30% liable. So um, in this scenario, the jury came back and said, no, there was no comparative. It's 100% on one person. But uh, with cars, we have to be careful, too, and keep that in mind. That's why, you know, you have to be mindful of your speed and mindful of the rules. Do you see a lot of fraudulent claims where both parties are involved? Yeah, um, sometimes... Well, I don't see it so it much. It doesn't on, happen. It happens. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, every now and again, I'll get a funky uh, case pattern. And that's that's a nice thing. I, I decide what cases I want to take. I don't right. have to take a case. Mm -hmm. There's no rule that says I have to take a case uh, because I spoke to you. So uh, I've had some questionable fact patterns or, um, yeah, things come up that kind of make you question it and uh when that comes up yeah we're, we're not shy we, we we just will take a big pass uh, we, we, obviously we run a clean shop <laughs> right and we want to help people that really need the help your reputation is everything hell yeah right absolutely and i would imagine one or two bad things could take a while to recover from yeah exactly exactly and it's kind of like uh taking a pillow to a tall building and letting all the feathers go out, and that's your reputation, you know. Once it goes out, it's hard to collect it back. So uh, that's very important. Reputation is big. We're very professional, obviously, with our clients, but uh, also, to me, it's very important to be professional with the other side as well. Perception versus reality. This is something I've started asking professionals who have sat in front of me who get to deal with this. People's perception of what you do versus the reality of what you do. And it could be personal or professional. Mm. Like, for example, early, I'm like, oh, well, all attorneys chase ambulances. Yeah. You know, and they're greasy, whereas yeah. you work hard for the person. So it's a, let's say, a perception versus reality. Well, I, wow. Uh, the, the, the perception is um, in personal injury. I mean, I'll speak to what I know about, right. obviously. Um, is that the attorneys see clients as just 
money signs. And mm-hmm. reality is it happens. It happens quite a bit. Um, we we're just talking about reputation. And for me, I want to see if I can help first. I don't even worry about the fee. There's right. been cases where I reduce my fee. Sometimes instead of the traditional 33 and a third, I reduce it to 20%. I reduce it to 15%. Sometimes I've even waived the fee uh, depending on the, on the fact pattern. Um, so to me, I mean, that, that, that's full service. And, and I do it, uh, of course, I go bankrupt if I did it in all, all my cases. I can't do right. that. And I have to pay my TV, staff. a TV person. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You have to pay your staff. You have to you know, pay your rent or, or whatever it is, our, our um, computer platforms and whatnot, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so uh, you, you do it uh, when it's uh, obviously uh, the case calls for it and you can really go in and help someone. And um, as I said earlier, sometimes those decisions, maybe I make a few bucks less and it doesn't bother me uh, because I sleep well at night. And that person just becomes a giant megaphone and they start telling everybody about how wonderful your services are. And my wife just reminded me this uh, when I was in L.A., I I knew nothing about landlord-tenant law, but I had a Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. don't, don't call me and ask, you, ask me to help right. uh, a landlord. I, I don't Those know my words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back then, I had a little bit more free time to do some research. And an uh, older lady came into my office. I don't even know how she found me. I was like on the 12th floor of a building, and she walked in and had all these questions. And um, I told her I, w- I would do my best to help her. And I wrote a letter to her landlord. And I think we got the issue resolved for her. And of course, she's like, I don't have any money, but I'll pay you. I'll make payments, and and I waived the fee. I said, right. no, no, thank you. Uh, we're good. I just, I was just trying to help you, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Uh, just being respectful of her. And uh, maybe about two weeks later, a young lady walks in and brings me uh, a blue Tiffany's box, and uh, it was a, a silver Tiffany's. It turned out to be a card holder. And it was the mm. daughter, the daughter of the lady. I was like, wow, that's really sweet. I wasn't right, doing right. it for that. I wasn't trying to get a nice Tiffany's product out of it. But What's um, her address? I'll write a couple of letters for her. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Sometimes you have to do those things. And right. uh, the reality is that not a lot of us do that sometimes. So it's something to be mindful about. So you said back when you used to have the time, you... Don't, probably don't have a lot of time now. What do you do when you have the time? Oh, well. Uh, like, what I, do you do for fun? What's your guilty pleasure? Okay. Um, I used to play golf quite a bit. Um, I'm a hack, not good, uh, but I did enjoy it. But uh, once you have kids, going back to a point I covered earlier, I can't say, well, I worked hard all week. I didn't see you guys. I'm out of here for a full day. Daddy time, right. you know? Uh, so I kind of stopped playing. But a couple weeks ago, my girls do have clubs and uh, we went out on the golf course and man, that was so fun uh, playing golf with them, teaching them. Um, it wasn't competitive in any way. It was just having a good time with, with my girl. So, so that, that to me, that's quality time. It's just fun time. And I, I don't ever want my daughters to say my, my dad was super su- successful. He, you know, he was good. He's a smart dude. He owned a law firm, but, but we never saw the guy. Right. <laughs> I don't want my daughters to be those kids. So that to me, I guess, is my guilty pre- pleasure right now that they're willing to spend time with me is <laughs> to hang out. Because it gets to a point. There's those years. I think we've all been in those years where it's like, all right, 
I don't, I don't even want to be seen with you. Yeah. You know, Marcelo and, and my wife, Marcelo's my son, you know, he was really all about her until he got to a certain age. And it's like, mom, can you drop me off around the corner from mm. school type of deal, you know, and it broke mm. her heart. But I'm like, that's just how kids can be sometimes. So your wife and, and, and daughters, you have, you have daughters? Yes, two daughters. And, and I'm getting to that point, Jay. I'm getting to that point because they're 15 and 16. So, oh, yeah. So, yeah, that happens sometimes. Yeah. So they're gone for the weekend. What are you doing? Oh, man. Um, I'm, like right now, I'm, uh, I was at the Clippers Suns game. Nice. Don't, don't hate at me. Don't don't hate me. I've been a Clippers fan since probably. You're two. from L.A. Yeah, I'm from. All right, you can be a Clippers n- fan. Not a Lakers fan. All, yeah. all my when I lived in L.A., I was already a Clippers right. fan since 2000, I think, when I converted. And uh, converted. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they they, yeah. they were a doormat for the NBA. Sure. Everybody stopped there they and were. won and took their win and left. Mm-hmm. But they did have a, a lot of energy and a, they were a fun team. And and back then. You know, just kind of starting as a lawyer, man, I could afford great seats. <laughs> I yeah. couldn't afford great seats for the Lakers, that's for sure. Right. So I kind of became a fan, and I'm very loyal. Mm-hmm. So once I started in that route, um, all my uh, friends from L.A. would razz me because, you know, 99 out of 100 people back then were uh, Laker fans. So I got razzed. And uh, now I call them. It's like, man, you guys haven't won a game against us in a while, right? <laughs> so as soon as Clippers, Lakers, texts go out, <laughs> payments come <That's> in. <laughs> Come this way to me. All the bets uh, we cash in. Um, so it's it's fun. Uh, so I love the Suns. Uh, when the Suns are playing, I'm always rooting for them, except when they play the Clippers. That's and fair. who do who we get in the playoffs? The Clippers. So that was right. tough. Um, honestly, I thought we would see a lot of Clipper um, T-shirts and jerseys in the arena. My wife got a little intimidated. <laughs> there was none. Really? There was a handful. We must have counted 10 in the whole arena. So... Uh, at one point, I'm surprised being so close. I know, yeah. I know, especially with all the California people right. that are here now. Yeah, yeah I, I thought there would be more. At one point, she's like, "Should I get a jacket? I need to cover it up." <laughs> she's getting a little intimidated, and um, uh, I told her, "It's okay. I'm I'm an underdog guy, so I'm always rooting for the underdog, and I'm proud." So. Plus, you're in Phoenix. You're not in Chicago. You're yes, not, you're not in Philly. You're not where the fans are really bad. Exactly. You know, exactly. I don't know if basketball is as bad as some of the other sports, but. You know, come football season, you start seeing fist fights in the stands and stuff yeah. like that. It's just like the weirdest thing. Yeah, it's 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 unfortunate because it's at the end of the game. At the end of the day, it's a game, and you know you enjoy it. There's always going to be a winner and a loser, and some teams are going to be better. But I remember growing up in LA. I I never became a Raiders fan for that reason. Oh, uh, yeah. Back when they were at the Coliseum, mm. the early days, beer bottles would be flying and unfortunate stuff. So it just got to the point where number one. I hated the team, and number two, I would never enjoy a football game. You couldn't go in person because of the, uh, you know, the bullying that went on with the fans and the the fights, and it wasn't rare to see knives and whatnot back then. Now, before metal detectors, obviously. Coming where you've come from, growing up, going through everything you've gone through, how great did it feel, or does it feel, when you were able to finally afford those seats? Well, I'm I'm looking to my left, and I have a Starbucks cup. And to me, well, you must be doing all right. I'm then. rolling. No. <laughs> I'm balling. I'm I love balling. Starbucks. So <laughs> I remember when I was at Cal State Northridge, I would pick a day. Like on Wednesday, I'm gonna get one coffee. You yeah. Know? And, and you know, you're a starving student. So I really appreciate you know the downside being hard and out and not having the wherewithal to get a taco. You know, mm-hmm. I remember those days. So um, uh, I appreciate it very much. I don't 
put my seats on Instagram. I'm not posting like, look where I'm sitting and look where you're right. not. I never do any of that. I just uh, enjoy it, appreciate it, and I'm thankful. You sound like you're very mindful of public perception, but you kind of, I, 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 mean, mm-hmm. I feel like you kind of have to be. Mm-hmm. So just to kind of, you know, kind of hedge that statement. You don't have to be. You don't have to be. There's uh, people that do what I do, and they, they kind of, they're the opposite, and they're successful, and you know, yeah. it's what they enjoy. And That's not who you are, though. No, it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not. Even even in town, we have billboards like everybody else. Mm-hmm. We don't have one at every corner. Uh, we don't do that. We just do it to. Uh, we we don't want to pollute the freeways. <laughs> we we do it to be relevant. That's a that's it. But um, my marketing manager who was here earlier uh, when we first started, I didn't know anything about billboards or advertising. That's why, you know, I hired him and he put my face on the billboard and um, he's like, hey, that's what attorneys do and you have to do it. So I didn't want to do it, yeah. uh, but I did it. And uh, then I drove by a couple and I felt very uncomfortable. It's like, wow. I don't want to see that. <laughs> uh, Talk about polluting the freeway. So you call them back and you go, "Can you I take did. the cape off?" I did. Yeah. I did. I did. And uh, what we did is uh, we rebranded, and now our um, billboard just say EOG Accident Attorneys. Very clean, very creative. No faces, no mm-hmm. no mug shots, and uh, I like it better that way. It's not about the ego. It's not about you know being the best. Going back to the quality. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm looking for. And again, we just do it to to stay relevant. How much of your business do you think is um, referrals and word of mouth? Oh, man, I, 90%. There you go. Yeah, big percent. Again, I could pull all the billboards, all the advertising. We do a little bit of radio, a little bit of TV. Whatever we do, we could pull it today, and I think I'd still be just as busy. Again, the idea is just to stay relevant. Um, some, Unfortunately, some some of the advertising firms, they rely on it because mm-hmm. – it's not. It's more of a numbers game and right. signing up as many people as you can, having those intake specialists that I spoke about earlier. And uh, if they don't get great results on a case, they just say, well, see you later. My phone's ringing in five minutes because I have another TV spot coming out. Yeah. So I, I call that kind of the factory approach. Right. Yeah. That's different. not who you are. You think you've, uh, you, you, you've probably always, have you always kind of been this guy? Or have you have you changed quite a bit from like yeah. the nineteen year old version of yourself? I think I think the core is the same. Yeah, yeah I think the core is the same. Uh, always had that. Uh, wanted to help people, and again, being the underdog, being the son of immigrants, kind of mm-hmm. you know having to earn everything. I can appreciate that. Um, you know, I I slept on the living room floor for years and years at at my parents' house because that's what we can afford. I couldn't get a bedroom. You know, people walk in the door and. I was like, oh, wait, I'm sleeping right now. Get out of here. <laughs> right. But um, I, I, that teaches you a lot. You know, I wouldn't change anything. It just, it makes you who you are. And you either learn from it and grow or take it and, you know, use it to throw it back at people. And I, I could never understand that. So. so we'll get you out of here on this yes, last sir. topic. Uh, we had a conversation on the phone a couple weeks ago. And you like tequila? I do. Yeah, absolutely. What What's your go-to? There's probably, I don't know if there is one. Like for me, there's a go-to, but yeah. most of the other liquors that I drink, there's not a go-to. I just pretty much drink everything. But what's your go-to? What do you think is actually overrated? And what's something that maybe I should try? Okay, the uh, 
Uh, and are you a Blanco, Reposado, Anejo, or extra Anejo guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like the Blanco. I like it nice and clean and crisp. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm a Blanco guy. And um, I'll tell you this. Uh, stay away from the celebrity tequilas. Uh, most of those, most of those, uh, if you, th- there's a, I forgot the name. I wrote it down here. The Tequila Matchmaker. That I, I forget the, uh, the app. There's an app called the Tequila Matchmaker. They also have a website. And you can always run a tequila through there. There's a number that's printed on there, and you can put that number in, and it'll tell you the region, ingredients. It'll give you ratings. Uh, it'll give you a lot of inf- good information about the tequila. Um, mm, a lot of the celebrity tequilas do use additives, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of more natural tequilas without additives. I like that less of a headache, less of an issue the next day. So they're cleaner. Um, for example, some, some brands that uh, I sip them, and oh, they're, they're just easy. They go down easy. You don't need a lime. You, know, you can throw away the lime with uh, some of these, like Fortalesa, very good tequila, very smooth. Uh, for What's the, that bottle look like? Um, it kind of has, on the, the cap kind of has, almost looks like a pineapple, which kind of- Oh, the, yeah, the it looks like a plant. woven little basket thingy. I know I don't mm-hmm. know what you're talking about. And I think I've had that downtown. Yeah, it's it kind of reminds me of the agave plant being it's a little harder up. to find. It, yeah, kind of the heart. Yes, it is hard to find. Uh, sometimes they run out. Uh, for the price point, ocho tequila ocho is uh, good quality. Uh, you don't have to spend a lot of money, and it it it's. It, uh, I've had that too. There's a place right down from your office that we mm-hmm. went to that has that. It's a Mexican restaurant on the other side of the road. I on think, Camelback? Yes. I think it's either, I think it's further down mm-hmm. away from the 51 on the left side. Okay. They have that Ocho. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's smooth tequila, but for the most part, um, the celebrity ones, if you look them up, they do have quite a bit of additives. Um, they're more expensive. Some and of the them, quality, yeah. yeah, some of them, and the quality's kind of not there, and you might feel it the next day, so be careful. Those are, those are your go-tos? Those are the three you like? Yeah, and, and I mean, one that everybody seems to have only because it's so accessible and, um, you know, Patron is easy, owned by Paul Mitchell. Um, so you don't mind Patron? I, I don't mind it. Uh, I it's I don't call it out. I don't call yeah. it out. It's only if the ones that, if, if it's a limited selection, like I said, if you're at a place where they don't have a, a kind of an eclectic bar, or a lot of tequilas, usually they'll have that one. So it's not my go-to. It's just like it's okay. No yeah. one's judging you. No, I'm telling you. I'm telling except you. except for me. And then no, no I get <laughs> you. Kidding. I get you. It's not my go-to. I won't call it out. Uh, uh, if I have to take a shot, I would rather just take Patron. Yeah. Silver because it's smoother. Yeah. It's not Jose Cuervo Gold. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to put me on my butt. Yeah. I, you know, I'm one of those guys. I don't really need. The lime. Everyone else grabs a lime and bites a lime and takes a shot. I'm just like, I just take the shot. Yeah. That's when you know it's a good tequila, too, when you you don't need any lime. You don't need any salt. It just goes down smooth. You can take the shot. You can sip it and enjoy it. Are you a a shot or a sipper guy? Uh, Mostly shots Mm -hmm. when it comes to tequila. Yeah, I'll do the shots. But but the thing I uh, appreciate about (laughs) Paul Mitchell, just, just, uh, I mean, um, uh, well, Patron, owned, yeah. owned by Paul Mitchell. Uh, he lived in Echo Park, too, which is my old hood. So he lived there in an apartment when he was a hairdresser. So I'm like, man, 
a guy from the hood. I mean, he wasn't raised. So that's there, it's just Paul Mitchell. That's the same. Yeah. He he. That's his patron. Is his? Yes. Well, and I, I had no idea. Yeah, the the that's cool. the hair product guy. Yeah. Uh, he snuck in very very early and probably worth over a billion bucks because of that. I was gonna say that's got to be one of the more popular tequilas out there, and it's actually. In my opinion, not bad because I don't. I don't even know if I do. I have to categorize it now as a celebrity tequila. <laughs> I, I, people, it's not sold as yeah. a celebrity tequila, like Termania or whatever. Yeah, the, the rock, rock stuff is. Yeah, we bought that because you know my wife, like most women, have a huge crush on them. And um, or the Kendall Jackson or yeah. Casamigos, the George Clooney's. Yeah, got to be careful with those. But uh, Paul Mitchell doesn't really associate his name. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I don't. I wouldn't classify it as a celebrity tequila. No, it's kind of behind the scenes. If you really research the company, you'll find out who the owner is. Well, Sergio, Sergio, Sergio. Nice job, right? Sergio. Yes, Sergio. yes, yes. Yeah, thank you for coming by. Absolutely. How can people get a hold of you? Do they need to check the billboards, or do we have a more direct way? <laughs> That's funny. Um, social media. We're all over social media: Instagram, Facebook, uh, ELG, PHX. You can look us up. Um, call our office anytime, 623-877-3600. No voicemail. We're one of the few firms our size that has zero voicemail. You call, a live person's going to talk to you. If nobody answers, the line is busy? Somebody will answer. Somebody's gonna- or I'll be very pissed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Love, love your setup. Love your show. Thank you. I want to thank Mr. Escamilla for coming over and taking time to sit in my home studio in front of me. Again, if this is your first time listening to the show, thank you so much for listening. You want to check out the previous episode with the vice president of Jada Toys, Mike Jimenez. That was a fantastic conversation as well. As always, I want to thank Wright Honda and Wright Toyota, 4wheelonline.com, and Cellshop Wireless Services. All my interviews, conversations are brought to you by Cellshop, by the way. Can't forget our Patreon business supporters, Kuya Automotive out of Winter Garden, Florida, Pell Construction out of Caledonia, Michigan, Bee House, Small Home Design, Ashburn, Virginia, and Traverse City, Michigan, Westgate Exotic Cars and Rentals out of Glenda, Arizona, and the Shaping Success with Wes Tankersley out of Boise, Idaho. Every Wednesday, you can catch myself and Wes on Instagram Live. It is a virtual happy hour. We invite everybody who's watching and listening to join us. We do a show and tell. We do this day in history. We have a lot of fun. It's just like meeting people up for happy hour. Uh, but he's in Idaho and I'm in Arizona. So make sure you follow me on Instagram at jfinning. My name is in the show description. If you're in a position to help the podcast upgrade, you can join the Patreon for as little as $3 a month and get access to audio, bonus audio, as well as show swag. I just dropped an episode pertaining to my weekend. That is not something that's going to be on the main show. Not, not at all. So I think there's 66 audio clips for conversations on the Patreon that you don't get on this. If you want to email the show, hardparkingpodcast at gmail.com. Join the Hard Parking Violations Facebook group because I can't grow without you telling the world how great the show is. Let's do this. Let's throw this thing together, and I will talk to you all next week. Shut up! <laughs> now it's stripping time. Ain't nobody got time for that.